Uh, good morning. <clears throat> Can I just say, I, you know, thank you for those nice words, but I really, I, I feel privileged to be at this church. It's a great church. My wife and I moved here from Florida, you know, eight years ago, and we've never regretted a moment. And um, we love this church, not just for the staff, but for you. Uh, you know, coming up here can be scary, right? What if I asked you to come up here and talk? And you'd be like, no thanks. But coming up here is a lot easier when it's to a, a group of people that I feel genuinely care for me and are rooting for me. So thank you for that. Um, who was here last week? Anybody last weekend? A lot of us were here. A lot of people joined us. More than we've ever had. Over 8,000 people joined us Easter weekend from Good Friday to Easter Sunday. We had a lot of fun. We had photo booths all over um, the property and uh, some pictures of some of our staff and their families on there. And uh, we're just so glad that you guys joined us um, that weekend. And another cool thing was Renee talked about um, donating a part of our uh, offering to ministries in developing worlds that minister to children, uh, like one of the ministries started by this lady named Easter in Zambia. And so I'm proud to announce that we were able to send $6,000 overseas to help those ministries. Yeah. So thank you for your support. And if last weekend was your first weekend and you've come back to join us, welcome. Thanks for coming back. And if today's your first weekend here with us, we're glad that you're here. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt uh, any of these things? Have you ever felt discouraged or intimidated or afraid or overwhelmed or eager to grow and mature but not sure how? Has anybody else felt like that before? Or are you feeling like that right now? You feel a little discouraged? You need some encouragement? We've all been there, right? I've been there. You've been there. Uh, and sometimes we just need a little encouragement. Well, I got a, I got a little video that, that has inspired me. Um, it's a little boy who conquered riding a bike. You remember that? When you like finally rode your bike and your dad's not holding your back and you're like going, you're like, this is incredible. Then you fall into the tree or whatever it is at the end. But he's conquered and he has some words of encouragement for you because sometimes we just need a pep talk. I feel, I feel. Do you feel alive? I feel, I feel, I feel happy of myself. I feel happy of yourself too. What do you got, any words of wisdom? What about for all the other kids trying to learn how to ride their bike? Can you say anything to them? and you don't know how to ride a bike, you can do it for rock and roll. Sometimes we need some encouragement, right? Sometimes we just need some inspiration because, because life gets tough. And some of us, like I said, you know, we're in here and we come to church and we're just like, oh man, life is rough right now and I just need some inspiration. And so that's why you're in these seats. And so if that's you, you're going to love Paul's last letter to Timothy and um, I'm excited to kick off our series called Strong Grace. We're going to be looking at the book of 2 Timothy. If you have a, a bulletin and take out the sermon notes that are in there, there are a few fill-ins uh, that you can fill out. 
This book is Paul's last letter, and it is just full of incredible encouragement, uh, especially when you're feeling like, you know, you're going through the ringer. And um, today what we're going to do is look at just an overview of the, of the main themes that we see in 2 Timothy. And starting next week, Renee's going to start in chapter 1 and going to go verse by verse right through this book, and it's going to be incredible. And before we get into it, here's just the who, the where, and the why of the book. So here's who. Paul is writing to Timothy. And if you don't know who Paul is, Paul is, he used to be a, he was a Pharisee back in the day, and he actually persecuted Christians. He didn't, he wasn't a fan of Jesus. Uh, the first martyr, Stephen, you read in the Bible, Paul was, Paul was there and he was approving of it. He was holding the jackets of the people, you know, stoning Stephen. He just hated Jesus. He hated his followers. And on this one trip, he was going um, to this place called Damascus to, you know, find Christians, put them in jail because he just didn't like them. And on that road, he encounters Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ changes his life. After that, he makes a 180, and it begins to become the, the greatest missionary we've ever seen. He goes to tell people about Jesus. He goes to city to city and preach the gospel. People believe. He builds churches. He raises up pastors, and then he goes on to another city. When you read the New Testament, you read the books like, you know, read books like uh, Corinthians and uh, Ephesians and Galatians and Philippians. Those are places, places that Paul had, had been and, and places that he's supporting and, and encouraging. And so, you know, God used Paul to, to spread the gospel all over the world and um, raise up these pastors, one of those pastors being Timothy. Timothy was in Ephesus. And so Paul is writing this letter to Timothy and Fast forward to the end of the life, when he's uh, writing the letter, he's in a Roman prison. You know, Rome isn't super excited about this Christian movement and all these people, like, believing in this new king of theirs. And so they want to squelch it, so they find Paul, who's preaching the gospel, and they throw him into prison. And you can actually go to the prison he's being held uh, while he's writing this book. It's called the Mamertine Prison. It's in Rome. And as you go to this prison, this is not like a white-collar prison. This is their Alcatraz. This is their, you know, maximum security prison. Because you walk in, and this is the ground floor. Now, it's just the room and the door is right there, and you'd think, he can just, like, walk out if he wanted. But you look at this grate on the bottom. It looks like a sewer grate. That's actually, a, back in the day, it was just an open hole. They've added this grate so that tourists don't kill themselves uh, walking into this hole. I guess that had happened. And uh, so back in Paul's time, there was a hole, and this was the entrance in which they threw prisoners down to the dungeon where Paul was being held. You go there today, it looks like this with, you know, plaques and stuff. But back then, no lights, nothing, dank dark, damp, and he's in this prison. And not only that, um, Nero is in charge of Rome. And if you remember your history, Nero is uh, the emperor at, at the time, and he's infamous for a couple things. One is letting Rome burn. If you remember Nero burning Rome or letting Rome burn. And the other thing is he was really uh, one of the first main persecutors of, of Christians in, in sort of a state sense, or he uh, took Christians, threw them in the Colosseum with lions, he killed so many Christians, he was not a fan. And so now, think about this, Paul is in this maximum security prison, knowing that Nero, this infamous Christian persecutor, has his fate in his hands. So Paul knows he's going to die. Knowing he's going to die, he pens his last letter. And he could, he could write anybody, I mean, he knows all the Movers and shakers in Christianity, he could write Peter, he could write, uh, you know, anybody, John, Matthew, but he decides to write Timothy. And Timothy is one of the pastors, and, and I think one of, you know, he's seeing Timothy as a 
successor to this ministry, like a, a guy he's going to pass the baton to, to, to continue this ministry. But really, when we read, we see why he writes it to him. First, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, it says this. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Timothy wasn't uh, Paul's biological son. Some think that Timothy didn't have a dad. For some reason, he died or he wasn't there. And Paul never married or had kids. So Paul treated Timothy like a son. And in another book, he calls him his spiritual son. He raised them and, and raised them in ministry. So he's very dear to his heart. And he's a pastor and the successor. So he's kind of giving his last words to the guy who's going to take over. It's kind of like uh, presidents. Have you ever heard of the, like, the letter presidents write uh, to each other? The outgoing president writes a letter to the incoming president. Some say he hides it in the Oval Office for the new president to find on the morning of the inauguration. A lot of people think this is some conspiracy theory thing where, like, the president writes the secrets of the United States, like, who killed, K you know, JFK, and, and did we actually go to the moon, and what's the secret at the mystery spot? You know, like, these are the secrets that the world wants to know and the president is writing. So the reason why people come up with these theories is because we don't see these letters. You know, they're these secret letters. Until recently, we uh, haven't seen them. Now we have one letter in its entirety, uh, the contents of it, and it was... Um, George H. Bush's letter to Bill Clinton. It reads like this. Dear Bill, when I walked into this office just now, I felt the same sense of wonder and respect that I felt four years ago. I know you will feel that too. I wish you great happiness here. I never felt the loneliness some presidents have described. There will be very tough times, made even more difficult by criticism you may not think is fair. I'm not a very good one to give advice, but just don't let the critics discourage you or push you off course. You will be our president when you read this note. I wish you well. I wish your family well. Your success now is our country's success. I'm rooting hard for you. Good luck, George. A cool letter. I mean, he had all right to write a mean letter to Bill Clinton. You know, opposite party. He ousted him. Uh, he won the election. He could have been like, good luck, buddy. It's going to be tough. I don't like you. But it was, it was Bush's last chance to affect any change, you know, to say, Clinton, I know you're going to be president, so here, don't forget these things. These are the most important things you can remember. And I think Paul's doing the same thing with Timothy. He's like, Timothy, these are the things you don't want to forget. And, to, and think about it. This is his last letter he'll ever write because he knows he's going to die. So really important things from a pastor to a pastor, from leader of this ministry to a successor. And, you know, when I read this book when I was younger and I wasn't a pastor, I used to think, what? This doesn't, I'm not a pastor. This doesn't apply to me. They even call this book one of the pastoral letters. And maybe you're in here today and you're like, well, I don't, I'm not a leader. I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to be a successor to some big ministry. But I'd like to make the argument that this book is for all of us. You know, Easter just passed and it got me thinking. When I was younger, before I was a Christian, I would go to these, you know, Christian, uh, like, youth rallies. You know, it's... What they do is they give you, like, some cool thing to watch, and then they preach the gospel. Like, I remember going to one, and the, these guys, like, strong guys, like, break stuff. Like, they take this piano and, like, break it in half and, like, tell you about Jesus. Or, like, they would uh, have a rock concert and then tell you about Jesus. Or they'd have free food, and they tell you about Jesus. I went to those, for sure. <laughs> good food. Um, but you go to these things, and then the preacher would come up, and I remember their messages. They would, they would come up, and they would say, listen, kids, <laughs> I know you thought that was fun. But here's the real deal. 
Where are you going to go when you die? I'm like, I, I don't know. What if you walk out of this room and you get hit by a truck or struck by lightning or eaten by a bear? Where are you going to go? I don't, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't, I don't want to die. You're going to go to heaven? You're going to go to hell. You want to go to heaven? Come down and pray with me. And I was like, well, whatever. I'm coming up. I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know what you're talking about, but I don't want to go to hell, and I don't want to get eaten by a bear. <laughs> Work your magic. <laughs> but I remember going to multiple th- you know, of those, even after I was a Christian, and all they talked about was what happens after you die. And so, you know, I used to think that all the events of Easter, Good Friday, Jesus dying on a cross, Easter, him you know, rising from the dead, that that was just, all that was just for, to affect the end of my life. But all that was not just for that. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Look what it says. It says, he has saved us, and not only saved us, has called us to a holy life. God did all that not just to change the end of your life, but to change your life today. To transform you, to live a holy life to grow and to mature in your relationship with God. And that's our prayer. That's our hope here at Twin Lakes, that you would come here and you would hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for you, rose from the dead, and you can believe in that and, and, and gain salvation to heaven. But then after that, grow and mature in your spiritual life to, to begin to live a holy life. And why? Because I think, like Paul, God wants us to be influencers. You know, Paul didn't go around the world and just by himself tell a ton of people about Jesus. He went and he raised people. He influenced people to then tell the news. He went here and influenced all these people and then they spread the news. And that's why today we sit in a church because Paul was an incredible influencer of people. And God is calling us to the same thing, to be influencers. Because we all have influence, right? Maybe you're a parent. You have influence over your kids or a friend or a neighbor or you're driving your car on the road. You're influencing people by your actions. And God wants us to be a good influencer because sometimes we can be bad influences. It makes me think of a, a story. Uh, when I was a kid, I tell a lot of stories about my mom because she's Korean and, you know, I can do the accent and that's funny to people. And she's kind of crazy and that's really funny to me and people. And one time, last time I, I spoke, a lady said, why don't you ever talk about your dad? And I'm like, there's not great stories about my dad. Oh, so here's one. Uh, when I was four... <laughs> We lived in Queens, New York, Flushing to be exact, and we lived on the seventh floor of this tall building, uh, apartment building, and I remember I was sitting on the sofa watching cartoons, and my dad, you know, walks up, you know, whatever, he's walking around, and he says, "Uh, Adrian, I'm going to get us lunch. Don't move. Sit in that chair and watch the cartoons. Okay. Don't move. I'm not going to move. I'm a good kid. The door closes. Of course, I get up. I'm not going to stay on the sofa. And I got to get in trouble. And so I'm looking for things to get myself into trouble with. And I go to their room, and there is this table uh, in my parents' room. It's a, a jeweler's table. My dad was studying to be a jeweler at the time. If you've never seen a jeweler's table, uh, it's just this wooden table, drawer, magnifying glass, light, tools. But the most important tool are blow torches. I know. I didn't know this at the time, but I have some pyromania in me. Like my dad would be working on jewelry and I would just look at that flame. It's like, well, how beautiful is that? I want it. 
I want to be with that fire. And so now's my chance. My dad's been doing it this whole time. It's my turn. So he's gone. There's multiple kinds of blowtorches, but he had this one that I saw him use and I knew how to start. So it's this blue propane tank. On the top is this orange gun-looking thing and a little black knob. And you, So this is what happens. You turn the knob. Propane shoots out. I, there's this flint starter. You spark it. Fire. I did it. Four years old. Bomb in hand. I'm ready to play. <laughs> so open fire. And, you know, it's fire. I'm like, okay, cool. I got to burn something now. <laughs> you know, I got... So I, and I, and this is the thing. I'm not dumb. I knew, like, I don't want to get in trouble. I could hide this. I could turn this off, put it away. He'll never know. So I got to burn something he won't miss. So I find a receipt in the garbage. And I could just burn this receipt, but I thought, that's too boring. And I threw it up in the air, and it floated down, and I thought, I got it. It's my new game. So I threw it up, and I'm trying to hit it with the fire, and I'm trying to hit it with the fire, and I can't get it with the fire. And I'm four, you know? I'm like, I'm like, ah. Finally, I get it. Hit it. But it's behind the drapes of my parents' bedroom. If you don't know about fire, um, when something like drapes uh, made out of cloth is, uh, comes in contact with fire, that in turn turns to fire. And so my parents' drapes are on fire. So in my mind, I don't want to get in trouble. So this is the, I got to get rid of the fire. That's a problem. Uh, I don't remember what I did with the can. I, I think I just threw it. <laughs> I don't know. I might have turned it off. I thought, I got to put this fire out. So I ran to the bathroom. And I thought, there's water in this bathroom. I turn on the faucet, and I got to fill something and take it back and throw it on the fire. So the first thing I find is the, you know, the after you brush your teeth, rinse your mouth cup. That's the official term of that cup, right? The, and what, what, what do you call that? The cup in your bathroom. So I take that three-ounce cup or whatever it is, fill it, and as, a, you know, I'm four. So I run like this and nothing. And so I do that like a few times. Water's everywhere, fire is going up, I'm home alone. It goes to the top and it goes out. Fire is done. I was like, did this work? <laughs> no, but it just went out. Now, fire's gone, okay. I thought, I can still salvage this. Maybe he won't notice the drapes aren't there. <laughs> but I gotta get rid of the smoke, right? And so I open the window, smoke rushes out, and I'm like, whew, I'm in the clear. But I, didn't, I wasn't smart enough to realize this. I mean, imagine yourself walking down a busy New York street. And you look up, and out of the seventh floor, smoke, black smoke is coming out of a window. And then right after that, a little boy just pokes his head out. And I look down, and I see people looking and pointing and talking to each other. And I'm thinking, they're going to tell my dad. <laughs> Don't tell my dad. All right, I'm fine. We're okay. Have a good day. Close the door. I run to the sofa. I sit, watch TV, my dad comes home, puts the food on there, and I know that's my last meal as he walks away, so I scarf it down, I hear him approaching after he says some things I can't repeat, and I wake up the next day uh, after his discipline. We all have influence. I love my dad. His influence, mixed. This moment, not great. We all have influence, but God calls us to have good influence. So this book, I believe, is for all of us because God calls all of us to have influence. So what is Paul's message to Timothy? Um, if you're here today and you raise your hand, you know, you're going through something, I just want you to be encouraged uh, by Paul's words because he's one of the greatest encouragers 
and again, one of the greatest influencers, and he gives Timothy a pep talk. And this is how he starts. First of all, in your message notes, you want to write this down. Paul promises two things. The first is this. Life will be hard. That's how he starts the pep talk. Join with me in suffering for the gospel, 2 Timothy 1.8. 2 Timothy 3.1, there will be terrible times. Becoming a Christian isn't a promise to a cushy life here on earth. God never promised us become a Christian and nothing bad will happen to you. You'll just receive flowers every day and you'll just love life and you'll go to Disneyland all the time. We're going to Disneyland soon. It's like on my, it's on my mind. But God doesn't promise us that. You know what he promises us? Life is going to be tough. Christ himself says, people will hate you because you follow me. We're all going to go through that. I know this doesn't sound like a great start to a pep talk, but I promise it gets better. Watch this. Number two, people will oppose you. 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Following Jesus, living a holy life means living differently, Right? Uh, living a, a life in God, following Christ, means that there should be some change. I mean, when you think about it, if the God of the universe, the Holy Spirit, lives inside you and me, there should be some change from when that didn't happen. When we become Christians, when we start to follow Christ, our decisions change a little bit. Our, our concept of what right and wrong changes a little bit. You know, the places we decide to go and not to go changes a little bit and that rubs people the wrong way and that rubs the world the wrong way because it doesn't come in uh, into alignment to what the world believes is how we should live and I remember in 10th grade I I felt this I was in in, uh, biology and next to me sat this girl we were friends in that class she was sort of the classic like this early 90s like rebel she's wearing boots and a green army her dad's green army jacket and ripped up jeans and like a shirt and uh, dog tags, and she didn't care about life, didn't care about anybody, but she was super nice. That was just her exterior. In, in biology, we talked, and we had, you know, she was super smart, super thoughtful, and then one day, we're in biology, and my, I had a, I used to wear a chain with a cross on it, a gold chain my sister gave me. I lost that chain. Uh, and then she looks over, and she sees uh, this chain, this cross, and then she, like, looks disgusted. And I remember leaning over and saying, you, you all right? She goes, are you a Christian? Yes. How could you? <laughs> and she sits back in her chair, turns. She never talked to me again. Because, I mean, because I wore a cross, really. But because I said I was a Christian. You know, in life, as you, as you live this life for God and follow Christ, and he calls us to, to do things a little bit differently, you're going to come up against opposition and contention and, and ridicule. It's going to happen. So Paul promises Timothy, life's going to be hard. You will face opposition. And if you're here and you feel like you're in that, he does give some advice. He goes from those warnings to this advice. Paul advises three things, and the first thing is this, to be strong in grace. Be strong in grace. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the spirit, of, spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1.9, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. If you read any of Paul's writings uh, in the New Testament, you will never read them and not hear the words grace uttered. 
Everything he says, everything he talks about is through the, the filter, through the rubric of grace. Everything goes through that. And if you're here and you're not sure what grace means, it's this. Salvation, God's love, God's uh, approval is nothing uh, you can earn. There's nothing you can do as a human to earn God's love because it's all on him. He loves us. The, the salvation that I was talking about earlier is all, all the work of that salvation, God did. Salvation, this holy life, it's a gift from God. Like it says, it's not because of what we've done, but because of God and his grace. And why do we have to remember that? Why does, why does Paul, like, you know, um, tell Timothy this? I mean, Timothy's heard Paul before. He's probably heard him talk about grace so many times. Why one more time? Because that's how important it is. He's telling Timothy, when you go through all these problems, you got to remember grace. Because if you don't, you get, you get you know, put in a corner because of opposition, because of life's troubles, and you start to feel discouraged. You start to lose hope. You start to doubt. When you don't have a good understanding of grace and you're in that corner, you start to think it's all your fault. And the only way to get out is, is, is by your own effort. I, I grew up in a, in a very legalistic uh, place. Um, you know, my mom's Korean, like I said, and, and living in a Korean home... Uh, you know, it's all about like performance, like, you know, perform well and make us look good. Or, you know, I have like Korean friends who, you know, they're like where they go to college, like the careers they're, they're supposed to have already set. You must be a doctor or a lawyer or something like very prestigious so that I can tell my friends that you're doing really well. And so I grew up in that sort of performance-based earn love through doing good deeds sort of thing. And then I go to a church that was Korean and I, I became a Christian there and they, you know, had those sort of cultural things going on, but then also like integrated that in faith. And so it became, you need to earn, to earn God's love and to earn his favor, you got to do a lot of stuff and stop doing a lot of stuff. So it's all about like what you do, not about God's power. Like God, God did stuff, but you really got to do stuff. I mean, and it got, and it can take you to some weird places, like wacky places. Um, I remember in high school, there was a girl, we're at this church together and I, I'm getting over cold now. And uh, I remember having a cold back then and I sneezed or coughed or something. And she looked at me and said, so you're not uh, praying enough? Huh? You're not reading the Bible? You got to repent of something? We got a cold. I thought, I have a cold because I didn't read enough of the Bible? And I remember, I live in this world. I believe the legalistic stuff. But even that was like, are you crazy? I remember thinking, man, I just want to sneeze in your face and like tell you to read more Bible and pray so you don't get a cold. I should have done it. <laughs> um, but when you don't have a strong understanding of what grace means, you, you, you lose hope because you think it's all on you. And when we realize that anything we have Anything we do, getting out of this trouble, uh, salvation, living this holy life is all based on God's power and his grace. It's freeing because he gives us a spirit of freedom, right? So be, gra uh, be strong in grace. Secondly, he tells uh, Timothy to be grounded in the word. 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14, what you heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit or scripture that was entrusted to you. 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. 
Continue in what you have learned. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. When you get into those places where you start to feel discouragement creep in and doubt creep in, where, like the places I've been where I'm like, does, does God exist? Has his love left me? Does, does he hate me now? Because you don't have a good understanding of grace because you're not grounded in the word. So, God, so Paul is reminding Timothy, be grounded in the word to remind yourself the truths of God because, because these two things. One, discouragement. Discouragement comes from lies. Discouragement comes from lies. Lies that say you're going through this because it's your fault. God doesn't love you because you haven't tried hard enough or you've sinned too much. God's grace isn't for you. It can't cover all those sins you've committed. You're way too far gone. That discouragement comes when you start to not have a, 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 a you're not grounded in truth and, and you begin to hear these lies. But encouragement, encouragement comes from truth. A truth that says God loves you and God's love for you doesn't change because God doesn't change. The love that he had for you when, when you accepted Christ into your heart, the love that he had for you on the cross, that love that he poured out is the same love he has for you when you're in the worst time of your life, when you're in sin and, and when you're making mistakes. His love doesn't change. His grace is enough for you. His grace can cover all the sins you've committed. His grace can cover the sins that you're gonna commit. Because he's God and his grace is godly. And the only way you can understand that truth is, is when you go back to the source. Because the only source of reliable and consistent truth is God's word. The only source we have on this earth of consistent and reliable truth is his word. It's the way we know God. It's the way we understand what he wants us to do. Be grounded in the word. And thirdly and lastly, what Paul tells Timothy is this, is to be gentle. 2 Timothy 2.22 through 25 says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. 2 Timothy 4.2, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. It's interesting when you read 2 Timothy because, you know, he, he tells Timothy these warnings. He then starts to encourage him, you know, uh, be grounded in, in the word, be strong in grace. Then he makes this interesting turn in his advice to Timothy. He says, now here's a call to action. This is how you respond to the opposition and to the trials that you have, to be gentle. And why does he do that? I think this, because I don't know about you, but I know people who they've been Christians a long time. They know a lot of the Bible. They've read, you know, they um, they do a lot of good things, but they are jerks. You know people like that? They're, they're, you know, they're people that would seem like really nice people, but you never want to hang out with them. There was this guy in my high school, they called him Bible man. Not, it wasn't a term of endearment. It was like, here comes Bible man. And I mean, I was a Christian, and I was like, I don't want to hang out with this guy. Because he was just so condescending, and he was so arrogant. And, and I mean, the thing is, you can fill yourself with the word, with scripture, and that's good. Because then you have, you know, the ammo, you have influence, you have uh, the words of encouragement, the words of influence to give people. But if you're not gentle, and you don't say it in a way that people want to hear it, they're not going to want to hear it. 
I mean, that guy knew a lot of the Bible, but nobody wanted to hear him talk because he was just not nice. And you know what? We have an opportunity right now um, to practice this. I don't know if you heard about this water thing that's going on, Um, but here at the church, you know, the staff and leadership, it's been heavy on our hearts. Uh, You know, there are a lot of you here that have supported our 2020 vision with prayer, with time, uh, and financially, you've supported. So we have this very vested interest uh, to see what we feel like God wants to do on our campus uh, succeed. And, you know, we're having this situation come up where it might not happen. And so initially, you know, your response could be like, this isn't fair. Let's go tell them what we think. Like kick over signs and just waste water. Like, fine, I'm going to take a 50-minute shower. Who cares about water? You know, we, that could be your response. And maybe it was to some people. But I think God is calling us to, to a different way. You know, we're encouraging you to, to join us on Tuesday night at Seascape uh, just to show your support for, for, this, for this project. And, and really, because we believe this project saves water, to show your support for water conservation. And we have an opportunity um, to be gentle, to respond in the right way, to respond like this. You know, look at what, it, look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We have, God has called us to be his ambassadors here on earth, to be his spokespersons here on earth. And so we got to make sure we do that in a Christ-like way, like Paul says, with patience, with careful instructions, being kind to everyone. Be strong in grace. Be grounded in the word. Be gentle because Life's going to get hard. You will have opponents. Why does Paul tell Timothy all this? Because I think this, you know, we're like, again, we're, these are just the, the, main, you know, the main themes of 2 Timothy. And starting next week, you're gonna, like, dive, we're going to dive deep, and Renee's going to start, and just it's going to be incredible. Because I think at the end of this, I, studying, for, uh, studying for this message, I read 2 Timothy a few times, which I encourage you to do. Uh, 2 Timothy is four chapters. If you read super, super slow, like, Hello. I, if you read that slow, it'll take you 10 minutes to read 2 Timothy. If you read super fast, under five minutes. It's really doable. Even in, your, um, in the devotionals we put in the uh, notes today, we're encouraging you to read through 2 Timothy this week. Because I think this, at the end of this series, at the, as you read this book and really understand God's word in 2 Timothy, we will begin to be a little bit more, have attitudes a little bit more like Paul. Because remember, this is Paul's last, um, last letter, right? Paul's one of my heroes when I think about, you know, in the Bible. It's just all that he did, you know, where he went, came from, a persecutor of Christians to this incredible missionary and, and pastor and influencer. And so he's at death's door, right? And he's writing this, last, this letter. And towards the end of the chapter, he writes this, knowing that he's going to die, knowing he's going to be persecuted, probably not going to die a really easy death. He says this, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Paul is in jail. He knows Nero wants him dead and he's going to die. But with, with strength and with peace and encouragement, he, he writes these words to Timothy that, listen, I did it. 
I got through it. And you can get through it. Because this is the bottom line. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy, is that ultimately God will give you victory. Paul knew that. That ultimately God, it's God's victory. I know that I'm going to die. I know that I've been beat. I know that I've been persecuted. But God has won the victory. On the cross, God paid the price and won the victory over death and the devil. God has the victory. And we can become like Paul once we really understand that. And who, you know, Paul is a little bit like that boy who learned to ride a bike, right? I mean, think about that kid. I mean, he was discouraged and he was intimidated. You know, his dad not holding uh, his shirt anymore or not there to catch him when he fall, fell. He was afraid, afraid to fall because that hurts. He was overwhelmed with the thought of riding a bike, he, you know, getting up and taking the training wheels off and pedaling and steering and, and balancing and looking and breathing and surviving. And then he got through it. And then what was the first thing he did? He just wanted to tell all of you how excited he was and that you too can ride a bike for rock and roll. And that's what Paul's doing. He's Timothy, I did it. I fought the good fight. I lived this life through all those persecutions and God has the victory because I'm gonna walk into heaven. How cool would it be at the end of our lives, we look back and we, and we see ourselves as people who were discouraged, who were afraid, who were overwhelmed. And we understand, we understood God's word. We, we were strong in grace. We were grounded in that word. We were gentle with our opposition. And we became people who influenced and encouraged other people who were discouraged and afraid, losing hope. And that's my prayer for you and for me as we go through this series and we learn God's word through 2 Timothy. Let's pray. Father, um, I, I'm just, I'm so grateful to you for your love and for your grace. And as I'm reminded of it over and over as I read your word, as I sing songs of worship to you, that God, you are gracious and that this life that you call me to, that you call us to, this salvation that I have, this gift is not of my own doing, but is of you, is of your doing, is of, of your effort and your strength and love and grace and mercy. And so God, I, I'm just grateful to you for that. I thank you for your word in Second Timothy, this incredible book. I, I pray that God, you would help us understand it. May it seek deep into our hearts and our minds so that Lord, when, when we do face these trials, when we face troubles, when we face opposition, that God, we would be strong in grace. We'd be grounded in your word. We would be gentle with those that, that oppose us and the situations that oppose us so that God, we can become influencers of this world, ambassadors, spokespersons, Lord, that you've called us to be. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. Be glorified, be honored. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.